After eight years, the Battle for Two complex redevelopment project has, by the grace of Allah, finally been completed, and the stunning new structure was inaugurated on Saturday, the 4th of March, 2023, in conjunction with the National Peace Symposium by Hadrat Khalifatul Masih, Ayyidullah Ta'ala bin Asahil Aziz. Beloved Hazur inspected the new structure, which includes various office spaces and guest accommodation. Following the inspection, Hazur gave an audience to various dignitaries and, prior to the main event, met with this year's Peace Prize winners. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the inauguration of the Battle Thu headquarters building and the National Peace Symposium 2023. We shall now start the formal proceedings with the recitation of the Holy Quran.
كذلك نخرج الموتى لعلكم تذكرون والبلد الطيب يخرج نباته بإذن ربه والذي خبث لا يخرج إلا نكدا كذلك نصرف الآيات لقوم I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Call upon your Lord in humility and in secret. Surely he does not love the transgressors. And create not disorder in the earth after it has been set in order. And call upon him in fear and hope. Surely the mercy of Allah is nigh unto those who do good. And he it is who sends the winds as glad tidings before his mercy, till when they bear a heavy cloud, we drive it to a dead land. Then we send down water therefrom, and we bring forth therewith fruits of every kind, in like manner, do we bring forth the dead that you may remember. And as for the good land, its vegetation comes forth plentifully by the command of its Lord. And that which is bad, its vegetation does not come forth but scantily. In like manner, do we vary the signs for a people who are grateful. Uh, most beloved Hazur, respected parliamentarians, worshipful mayors, your excellencies, lords, ladies and gentlemen, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. It gives me great honor and privilege to welcome you to mark the inauguration of our new UK headquarters building located at the Bethlehem Mosque, the largest mosque in Europe. The Bethlehem complex was inaugurated in 2003 by our Khalifa, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mizza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. In September 2015, a major fire broke out at the administration side of the mosque complex at the front of the site, which destroyed most of the building. By the grace of God, the mosque itself was safe and unaffected, and there were no injuries and no loss of life. Whilst this was a devastating incident for the community, our members came together and pulled together a fundraise for the 20 million redevelopment of this complex. 
Today marks the completion of that journey of redevelopment, and I hope that you'll all agree that it is a landmark building for London and the UK, and that it will be a beacon of peace and harmony for this country. Today, we also feature the National Peace Symposium returning after a gap of three years due to the COVID pandemic. The theme for this year's event is the Foundations for the True Peace. Once again, I'd like to welcome you again this evening and thank you for taking time out to be with us on this very important occasion. Thank you. And before I invite my, uh, our first guest speaker, I would like to read out a message from the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak for this event. The Prime Minister says, it is wonderful to see that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the wider community will come together in celebration at this time it is encouraging to see how the mosque serves local and national communities with its tireless charity work and its commendable efforts to inspire lasting global peace. I take this opportunity to send my best wishes and I'm sure it will be enjoyed by all who attend. It's a great honour to be here tonight to join with His Holiness, the Ahmadiyya community and everyone here tonight and watching our proceedings to celebrate uh, the opening of this amazing building. Obviously, we think about the war in Ukraine and the people on the front line, whether it's in Bakhmut, where some appalling fighting is happening as we meet, but across uh, Ukraine. But we should also remember the many other conflicts that are across our world. And I know His Holiness has spoken very much of the seven-year war in Yemen where, where so many people have been killed and so many people are starving as a result of that war. Um, and we mustn't forget these wars, even if our attention is drawn to the conflict in Ukraine. So th thanks again to the community for the leadership that you show in reaching out to all communities uh, with your charitable work here and abroad. Thank you. Thank you so much, His Holiness, distinguished guests, my friends from the Ahmadiyya community, assalamu alaikum. It is such a pleasure to be with you. Uh, it really is, I can't tell you. So I'm so delighted that we're able to hear, to be here, not just to talk about those other uh, foundations to true peace, but to celebrate what we have in this beautiful building. I and mean, I understand enough about Islam, but I can claim to be no expert to understand that uh, you shouldn't demonstrate ostentatious um, uh, uh, approaches to, 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 to wealth, um, etc. But what we have in this building is a true, truly beautiful building, which is representative of the relationship that the original mission of the Ahmadiyya community to, to rebuild that, uh, that, that relationship with man and God, to be able to reach up uh, and, and have that relationship. Thank you so much for your wonderful welcome, as always, to every event that I go to with the Amadeir community. Your Holiness, distinguished guests, everyone here and watching in other parts of the mosque and around the world. It is a real honour to be here and what a wonderful celebration of a beautiful building. And I also echo the words of other speakers to, to thank His Holiness for all you have done um, to speak out for peace around the world. 
because I worked in Bosnia during the war, and there I learned that peace can go and be dis disintegrate so quickly amongst a community that there they felt that were, they were diverse um, and they were living together in harmony, but so quickly went into war, and that peace needs to be built every single day. It doesn't just happen. So today, peace is being built by us coming together and saying that this is what we want. We want harmony. We want everyone to be able to live their best lives um, in freedom, um, whether it's in Pakistan, all of the countries mentioned, and here in the UK. And we will do our best to do that. But thank you so much for having me here this evening, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Fleur. We now come to the next part of the program, which is the presentation of the Peace Prize, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Prize for the Advancement of Peace. We have two presentations today uh, due to not having an event over the period of COVID. Uh, and I would invite our national president, Mr. Rafiq Hayat, to introduce the first recipient of the Peace Prize for 2019. Thank you very much. The first Peace Prize winner is Barbara Caroline Hoffman, who is the recipient of the 2019 prize. In 1991, Barbara founded ASEM Switzerland, a non-profit organization providing education and poverty in relief to children. Between 1995 and 2005, she founded an organization, ASEM branches in Portugal, New York, Italy, Canada, and the USA to support the work. All this enables children of war to have hope in life, chance for better future. And, for her, work, <clears throat> and her work has helped over 180,000 children so far. We are proud to announce Barbara as the winner of the 2019 Amdiya Muslim Peace Prize. She Assalamu alaikum. I'm very honored, pleased, and full of emotion to be here tonight and to share these moments with all of you. I'm here, not me. I'm here, we, we, all the people that made possible what we have achieved. You can be one person having an idea. You can be one person defending an idea, but it's not one person who is gonna do it. And if you want to, ha to have it last, then it's always we and never I or me. So I am very pleased to share these award this honor you gave me tonight with all my people because I didn't do it alone. 
we did it together. I thank you so much to all of you, and I'm very honored. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're also pleased to announce the recipient of the 2022 winner, which is the 14th Peace Prize to date. The 2022 recipient is Dr. Tada Toshi Akiba, who's from Japan. For many years, Dr. Akiba was an academic teaching in both US and Japan after having gained his PhD from Massachusetts Institute of Technology. His work is to raise the world's awareness for the consequences of nuclear war and is more relevant than ever today and his efforts to advance practical proposals for nuclear disarmament are vital to help reduce the threat of nuclear war. We are delighted to honor his work and to present him with the 2022 Amdia Muslim Peace Prize. And this prize also uh, has, both the Peace Prize also have a 10,000 uh, pound financial award that goes with it, which will be given to them as well. Assalamu alaikum. Your Holiness, members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, distinguished guests, fellow peace workers, and ladies and gentlemen. It has been a year since Russia invaded Ukraine and threatened the possible use of nuclear weapons, which President Putin repeated over the past year. I know that the Hamadiya Muslim community felt the same way a year ago because you were one of the first in the world to recognize and protest nuclear weapons in humanity and evilness back on August 10th, 1945. The second caliph declared on that day that it is a religious and moral duty to proclaim to the whole world that we do not consider lawful such bloodshed. Belatedly, the world finally came to the same conclusion when the Treaty on the Prevention of Nuclear Weapons, TPNW, took legal effect on January 22, 2021. Words of your holiness give us direction. Regardless of its effect, we shall never give up our efforts to promote peace and justice, certainly. Let me close by quoting another elder from Hiroshima, Sunao Tsuboi, a Hibakusha leader who died two years ago. Never again and never give up. Thank you very much.
I am now uh, deeply honoured to invite His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, the head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, to deliver the keynote address. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon you all. Firstly, <clears throat> I would like to express my sincere gratitude to all of our guests who have joined us here this evening. Due to the COVID pandemic, we were unable to hold such a guest reception for the last few years. Given this, we are extremely pleased that today, after an interval of four years, we are able to host all of you, old and new friends alike, once again. <clears throat> this event <coughs> is being held to inaugurate the reconstruction of the administrative block of the Betul Tu Mosque complex. And alongside the inauguration, we are holding our National Peace Symposium. <clears throat> Therefore, I will seek to briefly mention the objectives of a mosque and also offer my thoughts on the current state of the world and how to achieve global peace and security. According to my belief, it is not possible to fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty or attain His nearness without fulfilling the rights of our fellow human beings and all of God's creation. True Muslims, therefore, live their lives peacefully and seek to pro propagate peace, tolerance, and mutual understanding in society. Indeed, Amdi Muslims believe that the founder of our community was sent by Allah the Almighty to draw the attention of mankind towards these core fundamental Islamic principles of fulfilling the rights of worship of God Almighty, fulfilling the rights of humanity, and seeking to spread peace and harmony throughout the world. He bequeathed us, to us a legacy of peace by making it clear that there is a direct correlation between the worship of God Almighty and fulfilling the rights of mankind. This is something to keep in mind as we gather in this building that stands adjacent to the main mosque and so forms part of the 
mosque complex. Mosques are built for the worship of Allah the Almighty. And it is sta stated in the Holy Quran that if a person does not fulfill the rights of God's creation, their prayers and worship will be rejected. Indeed, the Quran states that the worship of those who fail to pay heed to other people's rights will be the means of their downfall and humiliation rather than the means of their salvation. Furthermore, it is essential to note that Muslims are commanded to build their mosque in the direction of the Holy Kaaba, the sacred house of Makkah, and to worship towards it. Yet, it is not enough to merely turn one's physical direction towards the Holy Kaaba. Rather, Muslims and their mosques must fulfill the objectives of the Kaaba, outlined in chapter 3, verse 98 of the Holy Quran, where it states that whosoever enters the sacred house of Allah enters peace. The, this Quranic verse means that a true Muslim, upon entering a mosque, shall himself enter a state of peace and shall be, by fulfilling the rights and commands of God, prove a beacon of peace and security for others. All our mosques spiritually mirror the Holy Kaaba, where in they serve not only as an abode of worshiping God Almighty, but are also a means of fulfilling the rights of mankind and establishing peace in the world. As Muslims, we pray five times a day. And in each prayer, it is incumbent upon us to recite the first chapter of the Holy Quran. In its second verse, Allah the Almighty proclaims that he is the Lord of all the worlds and all of all people. He is not just the provider and sustainer of Muslims, but he provides for and sustains Christians, Jews, Hindus, Sikhs, and indeed people of all religions and beliefs. He grants them life and he fulfills their basic needs through his grace and compassion. Consequently, from the very start of the Holy Quran, Muslims are taught that the fundamental pillar of Islamic teaching is that a sincere Muslim must never harm the people of other faiths or religions, harbor any form of hatred, or speak ill of them in any way, as we are all the creation of God Almighty. Indeed, it is our conviction and teaching that Allah the Almighty fulfills the needs of those who do not appreciate His grace and reject His very existence. Not only does He provide for them, but He also grants them the fruits of their labor. This is the concept of the all-merciful God in whom we believe. Surely, those who have faith in such a gracious God 
can never seek to undermine the peace and well-being of others. Thus, it is purely to attain the nearness and love of such a benevolent and loving God that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community strives to foster peace and harmony around the world. Ever since our community was founded in the late 19th century, alongside inviting others towards God's, uh, God Almighty, we have consistently practiced and preached a message of mutual understanding and tolerance and sought to establish true peace in the world. As I mentioned earlier, prior to the pandemic, we held this National Peace Symposium each year, and we are grateful to have the opportunity to resume this event in an effort to advance the cause of peace. In addition, we hold similar conferences and events all around the world seeking to bring people together, irrespective of their caste, creed, or color, under the banner of humanity, and strive to identify solutions to the problems faced in the world. Our motivation is for true and lasting peace to emerge so that mankind can save itself from self-destruction. Our objective is to raise awareness of the fact that the world stands at the precipice of disaster and to urge humanity to take a step back and consider our responsibilities, not only to the people of today, but also to our future generations. We hold such events so we can proclaim our firm conviction that only in peace lies the salvation of the world. Peace is the golden key to un unlocking the door to societal progress and development and ensuring that our future generations can thrive and prosper. Though we have long preached this message, it seems to have fallen upon deaf ears. I believe the fundamental reason is that that the vast majority of the world has turned away from God Almighty and consider materialistic gains and worldly pursuits to be their ultimate objective. It was due to such vain and covetous pursuit that mankind was dragged into two calamitous and harrowing world wars during the 20th century. Rather than learn from the horrors of the past, the world is once again engulfed by warfare and conflict. At this point, I should clarify that I do not believe that the blame lies exclusively with Muslims or non-Muslims. Nor do I say that cruelties or injustice are the sole preserve of any one group or nation. Any Muslims or so-called Islamic groups who inflict cruelties or conduct barbaric acts violate their religious teachings and are fully 
culpable and to be condemned in the strongest terms. According to Islam's teachings, permission for war is only granted under extreme circumstances as a defensive measure, where a concerted effort is made to destroy the institution of religion and freedom of belief through warfare. Islam has never and never will permit aggressive warfare for the sake of territorial gains or fulfilling the geopolitical ambitions. Furthermore, the Holy Quran has instructed that every possible opportunity to achieve peace must be pursued, no matter how remote the chance of success are. In chapter 49, verse 10, Allah the Almighty states that when two nations are at war, third parties should seek to reconcile them and draw them to a peaceful settlement. If the aggressor continues to wage war, it is up to other nations to join forces and use proportionate and legitimate force to stop the oppressor. However, once their cruelties cease, unjust retribution or revenge must not be exacted. <clears throat> Regarding this principle, chapter 5, verse 9 of the Holy Quran categorically states that you must not let the enmity of any nation or party prevent you from upholding the true standards of justice and, and equity. Accordingly, punitive sanctions or other unjust measures that prevent a nation from moving forward post-war and uh, limits its, uh, limit its uh, freedom and prosperity should be avoided at all costs. Just a few days ago marked the first anniversary of the war in Ukraine and sadly there is no sign of how or when the war will end. Nonetheless, this has not stopped certain political leaders from stating that once the war does end, Russia should be subjected to extreme sanctions and made to pay for its actions. Recently, a column by the journalist Matthew Paris was published in the Times stating that such statements in advance of any meaningful peace talks are ill-judged and serve only to further inflame a volatile situation and reduce the chances of a peaceful settlement. The columnist wrote that political leaders should be above seeking short-term media acclaim and recognize, as he puts it, that the words spoken now can cast long shadows across a future terrain of which we are still ignorant. He writes that now is not the time to speak of reparations from a defeated Russia or to call for 
Nuremberg-style Nuremberg war, war crimes tribunals. I believe his right to serve this warning. What incentive will Russia and its leaders have to seize hostilities uh, if they know that their withdrawal will lead to their certain ruin? As I have said, Islamic teachings require for every effort to be made to bring peaceful solution to a conflict. For this reason, I believe it is essential to keep the channels of communication open and to strive to find mutually acceptable terms of agreement. If, however, the aggressor remains bent on causing misery and destruction and refuses to withdraw, Islam teaches that other nations should join together as one and use proportionate and necessary force to end the cruelties. The objective of the intervening parties must remain at all times to establish peace instead of seeking revenge or humiliating the aggressor. Nor should the underlying intention ever be to line one's pockets or to exploit the conflict to advance Western interests. Otherwise, those who have been demeaned will undoubtedly harbor a sense of injustice and resentment. Such frustrations are bound to eventually boil over and lead to further conflict, and so the cycle of incessant violence will continue to rotate with ever greater fury. Regard regrettably, as the columnists noted, rather than acting wisely, certain leaders and officials are making statements or pledges that serve only to pour petrol on the fire. Instead of helping to end the war, their comments reduce the long-term chances of peace. In a similar vein, an extremely dangerous consequence of the war in Ukraine has been the solidification of opposing political blocs and alliances and the rhetoric being used in international relations is becoming increasingly hostile on all sides. For example, much has been written about how Russia and China are forging closer ties, bonded by their mutual antagonism towards the West. The truth is that war often begets war. There are genuine concerns that the Ukraine conflict could spread or that other nations could be emboldened to abandon diplomatic efforts to resolve their disputes and resort to force. For example, the situation in Taiwan is becoming increasingly precarious as China seeks to assert its control. Hence, world leaders, the media, and others should not fall into the trap of thinking that the war in Ukraine can be easily contained. In this regard, the journalist Peter Hitchens recently wrote in a national newspaper about the decision of several Western countries to send their tanks to Ukraine. He wrote, if they, the tanks being given to Ukraine, cross into 
what Russia regards as its own territory, then do not be surprised by anything which happens. He continues, there is the real possibility that a large chunk of Europe might be turned into a radioactive graveyard and that American conventional relations for this, which will be furious and powerful, will make us a stage further into the world of horror, loss, flight, pestilence, and poverty, which always follows war. Regarding Russia and Ukraine, he says, two countries are in a furious grapple because their deep, hard, and unalterable interests conflict. This, the sane and decent policy for any outside power is to help push them into a lasting compromise. As the world did to France and Germany after 1945. Instead, we send tanks, it is as if the fire brigade went about starting fires. Other commentators are reaching similar conclusions. During the recent interview, the renowned economist Professor Jeffrey Slash said, I contacted the White House at the end of 2021 and said there will be war unless the US enters diplomatic talks with President Putin over this question of NATO enlargement. I was told the US will never do that. That is off the table. Now we have a war that is extraordinarily dangerous and we are taking exactly the same tactics in East Asia that led to the war in Ukraine. We are organizing alliances, building up weaponry. He continues, the Chinese government said, please lower the temperature, lower the tensions. And we said, no, we do what we want. And now sent more arms, and this is the recipe for yet another war. And to my mind, it is terrifying. Increasingly, academics, political experts, and respected analysts are warning that we are approaching a grave period in the history of humanity. For example, the symbolic doomsday clock controlled by an international panel of some scientists which forecasts the likelihood of a human-made global catastrophe was recently turned to just 90 seconds until midnight, the closest to a global disaster it has ever predicted. The scientists stated that we are living in a time of unprecedented danger and warned that there is a significant risk of global war triggered either by accident, miscalculation, or even intentionally. As we ponder over such dire warnings, the obvious question is how can the world bring an end to the cycle of warfare and bloodshed that we witness today? The world is well versed in supporting victims and those suffering injustice, as is the case with the Ukrainian nations, nation at this time. Yet, it may surprise you to hear that Islam teaches Muslims to help not only the victim of the persecuted, but also the perpetrator and oppressor. 
Of course, this does not mean you provide the aggressor with the means of freedom to inflict further cruelties. Rather, to help an aggressor means to stop them from committing further brutalities and injustice. Whenever, uh, whatever wrongs are being committed by the Russian state, we must keep in mind the broader picture that if the war is not brought to an end, it will lead to a deepening global crisis with potentially catastrophic results. Opposing blocs will become further entrenched. Hatreds will become even more deeply rooted, increasing the likelihood of a world war. Hence, as they continue to support Ukraine as it defends itself, world powers should also be making every possible effort to end the war through peace talks and good faith negotiations. Otherwise, I fear the war will spread beyond Europe and eastwards towards Asia, and who knows where it will stop. For many years, I have warned of the risks of a full-scale world war and have spoken of how its deadly and destructive consequences are far beyond our comprehension. Having long warned of such a war, I take no satisfaction in the fact that we are moving ever closer to it and that others are now expressing similar sentiments and fears. Rather, I feel only grief and anguish as I see the world hurtling ever faster towards the terrifying world war in which the lives of millions of innocent people <coughs> will be lost or permanently destroyed. Moreover, what kind future will we have uh, will we leave behind to those who are yet to come. Instead of bestowing a legacy of peace and prosperity to our future generations, our parting gift to them will be nothing except death, destruction, and misery. Certainly, it is my grave fear that today's geopolitical tensions could spiral out of all control and ultimately lead to a nuclear war. We should be under no illusion about the fact that if, God forbid, a nuclear weapon is ever used, it will strike the earth with such velocity and force that its toxic effects will be felt for decades to come. Hundreds of thousands or even millions will surely die either instantly or in the aftermath. Those who survive will suffer miserable and torturous lives as they seek to pick up the shattered pieces of humanity. As for the devastating impact on future generations, countless infants will be born with genetic defects and disabilities as a result of the perpetual effects of radiation. Thus, with all my heart, I pray that may Allah Almighty have mercy upon humanity and may the people of the world, especially its leaders and policymakers, see sense before it is too late. I pray that instead of warmongering and saber-rattling 
they utilize all their faculties and resources to foster peace and security for all peoples and nations. Rather than seeking to feed their egos and satisfy their lust for power by fueling wars, may they recognize their responsibilities to safeguard humanity for the sake of people today and for our future generations by making policies that end all forms of conflict. May they be the guardians of peace and prosperity rather than the agents of war and bloodshed. As a religious person, I firmly believe that this can only happen when mankind sets aside its selfish ways and materialistic desires and comes to recognize and worship the one God and strives to fulfill his rights and act upon his teachings. I pray that may Allah the Almighty grant people wisdom and may all mankind manifest those principles of principal objectives that the creator and master of this world, Allah the Almighty, desires from us to fulfill his rights and those of his creation. I mean, with these words, I thank you all once again for joining us this evening. Thank you very much. His Holiness will now lead us in silent prayer. Uh, we pray by raising our hands and you may join us in any manner you feel comfortable. Please silent prayer. I mean. Today, I had the honor to receive the Peace Award. I don't do anything by myself. I don't do anything alone. I cannot do anything alone. So, every, all my people there, helping, doing, being a part of it, it's us. And I think for us, it, is, it was a big honor to have met and to have received those honors from his hands. I think Kazor had made so many points that are address the need of the hour, which is peace. How do we pull ourselves away from the precipice of disaster, of wider and more profound conflagrations? And I think that's absolutely essential. We, Kazor mentioned that look at Ukraine, we have the threat of tactical nuclear weapons, but at the same time, we mustn't vilify individuals. We must come together with some shared values based upon humanity. This is what Islam requires. It's what uh, the Jamaat uh, requires under Hazor's instructions. And it's the unity of purpose that will bring different religions together, Hindu, Christian, Muslim, Jew, Sikh, people of no faith uh, and people of faith, to really act much more responsibly in terms of trying to protect what we've got. Hazor is very clear that under the Islamic uh, system. We should help the person that is persecuted, but also help the oppressor. And as I said very clearly, not by giving arms, not by giving them succor, 
so they can commit more gra you know, grave and cruel uh, misdeeds. But by advising them to go to the path of sanity, to go towards the path of justice, and if those calls are not heeded, then we must come together to stop oppression and uh, the kind of cruelty that we've seen uh, at the moment in the world. I've always heard the phrase about religion is the cause of conflict, but it can also be the solution. And what I always get when I uh, meet the Ahmadiyya community is the fact that uh, love for all, hatred for none isn't just a form of words. It's not just a mantra. It actually comes from the heart and it means something. I think there's something that we can all learn from and so religion can also, and faith, importantly, can be that road to peace. Well, it was very exciting coming, just arriving and seeing this beautiful building all lit up in the evening sky. The, what's been achieved is really something incredible of the, about this building. It's, it's unearthly. It's something of a bit of heaven, I think, this building. It looks so beautiful. So well, I remember the fire and it was a very horrific uh, occasion uh, when we saw a building that we, we'd known for so long go up in flames. Um, and to come tonight, to see the new building is so exciting and I just want to pay huge thanks and congratulations to everyone who's been involved with it. it's raising the money, whether it's doing the designs, doing the building, it looks fantastic and I think we're very lucky to have a building of this quality. Uh, seeing it from a distance, it looks like it's already an iconic place in the, uh, the UK and probably around the world. Uh, but also what I think it really brings to life is the community within the building. It's not just about the bricks and mortar and, and however beautiful it is, but to have so many people here, um, so many people listening, talking, engaging, but ultimately uh, having a conversation about peace. You know, diplomacy and friendship, you know, must come before any kind of uh, war mentality. We. As a human race, the only way for us to survive is to be tolerant with each other. I, I, th I think it's important for every faith to do this. If every faith was open about what they were trying to do together, we'd obviously have a much more tolerant society. You know, for the Muslim faith, it's great that you're actually trying to break down some of the stereotypical views that some people have about the Muslim faith because we don't know about it, a lot of us. So coming here tonight and meeting people, chatting to people who come here, it, it's, it's really great to get that message across. Uh, I think the Peace Symposium was very impressive, especially what His Holiness said about the, the war in Ukraine, about uh, the relation to the Quran, uh, the Holy Quran, and uh, what uh, governments should do and should not do. Um, so helping uh, the, uh, the country that was attacked, Ukraine, yes, uh, but not in such a way that it will only fuel the conflict. Uh, and that uh, now is not the time to talk about reparations uh, and other aspects, uh, sanctions after the war. Now is not the time. I think those were wise words. Uh, and they were a, a worthy contribution to the international debate that's going on. But clearly, uh, the teaching of, of your faith, as with the teaching of, of Jesus and my faith, is, is peace. And, uh, and the, the desire to strive for, for love for one another, forgiveness, was, was also a key uh, topic for today's conversation. And, and forgiveness will inevitably motivate us towards greater harmony. His Holiness' address was so inspiring and 
the fact that he centers the importance of peace in every element of his work and his teachings is something that we can all learn from, regardless of whatever faith you're from, whether, whatever background you're from. There are so many global issues that we're facing and all suffering from at the moment that actually peace is something that is our common language and is something that we can really come together because we need to achieve it for the betterment of everyone.